0: I'm Dale Mason, publisher of Answers Magazine, and this is Creation Answers, a podcast of Answers in Genesis, featuring highlights from the award-winning Answers Magazine. In this episode, we'll explore why secular scientists get some issues so wrong, such as climate change and the origin of complex organs. When experts ignore God's Word, they quickly get off track. Consider this article by chemist Dr. Alan White. It's entitled, What Scientists Ignore About Climate Change.
1: All-time record temperatures in Paris, fires in the Amazon, Mississippi River flooding, the Maldives underwater. Everywhere we turn, we hear warnings about serious threats to life on Earth. With each report, extremists demand immediate, drastic government measures to slow down climate change before it is too late. Most stories lay the blame squarely on us humans, particularly on carbon dioxide, or CO2, a greenhouse gas produced by our burning coal, oil, or natural gas. In their zeal to protect the environment, however, few activists stop to question the data that supposedly links human activity to a rise in global temperature, or to a rise in the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events. Even fewer have taken the time to consider how proposed restrictions on fossil fuels could make life more difficult, especially for the poor. Those of us in affluent societies tend to forget that the standard of living all over the world is directly related to the availability of affordable energy. While the cost of renewable energy, like solar panels and wind turbines, is declining rapidly, it will be years before they are widely available at a reasonable cost. With so much at stake, we must analyze the scientific data even-handedly. If a problem exists with human production of CO2, we must carefully consider the consequences of our proposed actions. To be sure, a dramatic increase in global temperatures and extreme weather events—drought, fires, hurricanes, floods, and the like—would be devastating for life on planet Earth, causing loss of human life, property, and crops. But before we join this stampede to restructure how the world generates energy, Christians need to weigh factors that secular experts often overlook, because they don't share our biblical worldview. God has a plan and a purpose for the earth. It is easy for us as Christians to get so tied up in our daily trials that we forget about the higher purposes of the one who created this world. God cares deeply about the earth and its climate. The earth is actually mentioned in the Bible's very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God had a plan and a purpose for the earth long before he created anything but he placed mankind at the center of his plan. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. While the earth and its climate are important, human beings made in his own image are of much greater importance to God. The earth was created to be a safe home for human beings and a place where we would share with God the responsibility of caring for the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. But God didn't create everything and then go on vacation. He is actively holding his creation together all the time. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16-17 to 17. After Noah's flood, God promised the earth would remain habitable until the end of time. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 So, before we begin weighing the complexity of what might cause global warming or extreme weather events, we must first recognize several fundamental truths. God's supernatural creation of the earth and those created in His image, His promise that the earth will remain habitable, and His intention to fulfill His higher purposes. Our limited understanding of God's ordained cycles. According to the secular no-God story, the earth somehow was formed about 4.5 billion years ago as a molten mass, and it cooled over about 200 million years. Secular scientists still struggle to explain the source of the water in Earth's life-giving oceans since it could not have been there in the beginning. According to their view, all the changes necessary to evolve a watery world suitable for life were unguided and completely random. Consequently, they fear the Earth's life-support systems could easily get out of control and become hostile to life. In contrast, God's Word says the Earth was covered with water from creation, and the water obeyed God's command. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, Proverbs chapter 8 verses 28 to 29, and 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 5. Unlike other celestial objects, our planet is covered with about 326 quintillion gallons of life-sustaining water on its surface, regulating our climate and providing for our needs. The prophet Isaiah describes the water cycle beautifully as it fulfills God's wish to nourish life. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 to 11. The water cycle explains much of how our climate works, but we still don't understand many details even today. The most advanced climate models still cannot accurately predict how clouds affect the Earth's temperature. Thousands of years ago, Job acknowledged this challenge. Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. The number of His years is unsearchable, for He draws up the drops of water. They distill His mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Job chapter 36, verses 26 to 30. We have long understood that water is integral to moderating the Earth's climate by readily transferring the heat from the sun around our planet. However, until very recently, water's role as a greenhouse gas has been a well kept secret in contemporary climate debates. The naturally occurring water vapor in the atmosphere has a much greater greenhouse gas effect than the CO2 from our cars and factories. In simple terms, greenhouse gases act like a winter blanket over the Earth, holding in some of the heat that would otherwise be lost. Without the presence of water in our atmosphere and its greenhouse effect, the Earth's climate would likely be too cold to sustain life. This inconvenient fact weakens the argument for immediate action on climate change. Water molecules are brilliantly designed for maintaining a temperature climate. Before we look at the influence of man-made CO2 on climate, we must first recognize that the Earth has many complex systems in place, clearly designed to keep us warm. Our climate is miraculously stable, given that the Earth is surrounded by cold, empty space. What is our responsibility? Just because God has designed a marvelous system to maintain a warm Earth doesn't absolve humans of their responsibilities. What is our duty? According to the Bible, We are to have dominion over the earth, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Most take this to mean that we have stewardship over the earth. In this case, it is prudent that we do scientific investigations to know how our climate is changing. We should evaluate these facts from a biblical perspective. If we find that our actions are truly detrimental to the earth, and particularly to its inhabitants, we should change what we are doing. Should we be concerned about the rise in temperatures? Scientists agree on the facts, which we observe and measure. It is certainly true that the Earth's temperature has been rising over the past few centuries since the Little Ice Age of about A.D. 1300 to 1850. It is also true that CO2 does act as a greenhouse gas and is therefore capable of raising the temperature of the Earth. It is even true that the concentration of CO2 has been rising for several decades. But just because CO2 and temperature have been rising together for quite a while, doesn't automatically prove one cause to the other. That's the great challenge in scientific research, to determine what are the true causes of the changes we observe. In this case, that boils down to answering the question, is CO2 the predominant cause of the current change in the climate? This is not easy to answer because we have so much more to learn about many factors that influence our climate. The concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere has not always correlated with the Earth's temperature. From AD 1000 to 1300, for instance, global temperature declined, while CO2 remained fairly constant. The Earth's temperature also began to rise about 100 years before the carbon dioxide did. Our understanding of this relationship is far from absolute, as many people claim. If it were absolute, the two lines would correlate over the entire length of time. When pondering this issue, Keep in mind that human beings are responsible for a fraction of the total amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, not the entire amount. Climate experts are doing their best, with the help of an armada of advanced satellites and computers, to separate all these factors that affect global temperature. Most now claim that the models are sophisticated enough to prove that mankind is the predominant cause of the latest rise in the Earth's temperature. But we still have ample reason to question these conclusions which many say should not be questioned, because of the poor correlation between CO2 and temperature, and the broad range of future temperature increases that current mathematical models predict. What about extreme weather events? In the discussion of human-caused climate change, one of the most popular claims is the increasing number of extreme weather events, such as hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, and floods. But has the frequency of these events actually changed, and does it correlate with the rising amount of CO2? Advocates of immediate, drastic action often latch onto any extreme weather event and claim that it was caused by climate change. But a growing new field, known as attribution science, is attempting to develop a statistical way to connect a particular rare event to a particular cause. To establish a connection, the statistician must look at a sufficiently long period of time and a sufficient number of similar rare events, not a single event. For example, This year, researchers completed a long-term analysis, over 100 years, looking for any relationships between the increase in hurricanes in the Atlantic and the rise in the Earth's temperature. They found no significant correlation. The authors concluded, in short, the historical Atlantic hurricane frequency record does not provide compelling evidence for a substantial greenhouse-warming-induced long-term increase. The chaotic nature of weather means that it is generally impossible to say for any specific event that it would not have occurred in the absence of human influence on climate, explains Oxford's Environmental Change Institute, which is spearheading the development of these statistical tools. In a simple analogy, a dice may be loaded to come up six, but a six could have come up anyway without the loading. The correlation between human activity and extreme weather events seems to be much more tenuous and the correlation between human activity and higher global temperatures. Everything is politics. No matter how much scientific data we collect, or how successful future models become at attributing blame for climate change, they do not tell us what we should do. The underlying issues are moral and political, not scientific. Should we waste natural resources, such as fossil fuels, or wantonly pollute God's Earth? Of course not. We don't need a scientific study to tell us this. We should be good stewards right now because our worldview tells us so, whether we are Christians who believe God is the owner of creation or are secular humanists who are concerned about self-preservation. Science is just a tool to help us understand the world around us and the consequences of our actions. What if it becomes clear in the future that burning fossil fuels is seriously harming life on this planet? We must weigh many complex moral factors based on our worldview. That includes weighing the effects on people, what suffering would a lack of affordable energy cause to millions, even billions, of people worldwide? Who has the authority to make such difficult decisions? As fellow humans made in God's image, we can all share many common concerns. Both Christians and non-Christians agree that we have a responsibility to care for the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28 Most people would acknowledge that we must be careful because of mankind's tendency to act selfishly and abuse power. And most are wary of unintended consequences of political decisions, even if our motives are pure. Yet Christians will never be on the same page with non-Christians because we have such radically different starting points. The key to interpreting the scientific data and determining whether the Earth's climate is out of control is found in the light of God's Word. Without this starting point, people will reach radically different conclusions about the state of our climate and what, if anything, needs to be done. Those with a secular view have good reason to be concerned about rising temperatures. In their view, the earth's climate is uncontrolled and dangerous, and humans are the only ones who can do anything about it. In a biblical view, by contrast, God designed the earth and our climate, and He is actively sustaining creation. Though the temperature of the earth will fluctuate, the Creator has promised that the climate will remain suitable for human life until He creates a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis 8, verse 22. Christians can be a voice of reason and hope to a frightened world. We should point people to the wisdom found in God's Word, which shows us how to tackle daily challenges as well as the eternal issues that matter most. Through it all, we can be confident that God will keep His promises. He always has. He always will.
0: Again, the author of that article was Dr. Alan White. He's a career chemist who earned his Ph.D. from Harvard University And after a lifetime in industrial research, where he was granted 41 U.S. patents, he now lectures internationally on current issues like climate change. If you like the Creation Answers podcast, you'll love Answers magazine. Subscribe for a full year of the print edition, and you'll automatically get access to the audio and digital versions of every issue as well. Right now, you can even save an extra 10%. Just enter the exclusive discount code Podcast10 at AnswersMagazine.com. That's Podcast10 at AnswersMagazine.com. So, as we heard in the previous article, we can see why scientists have misinterpreted climate change. It's because they ignore the Creator's design of the Earth's atmosphere to support life. But they have similar problems when it comes to the origin of other complexities of life. The next article, by Dr. Stuart Burgess, looks at the marvelous
2: design of eyes throughout nature. Don't look now, but you're being watched by an amazing variety of magnificent eyes. If you could walk through the forest at dusk, literally thousands of eyes will follow your every move. Insects, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, and birds of all shapes and sizes will be aware of your presence, even if you remain blissfully ignorant of theirs. That may sound creepy, until you remember that God made them this way, for their good. Life requires creatures to be aware of their surroundings, so they can respond appropriately. However, creatures don't see the world the same way we do, and for good reason. A slug on a stump doesn't need our full-color, wide-angle, focus sight which can track wind blowing through another person's hair, or a grin lighting up someone's face. Each creature has its own specially designed vision system to sense the world in just the way it needs. For instance, your human eyes are wonderfully designed. Humans can see 10 million colors and detect changes in hues a few nanometers, billionths of a meter apart. We can look up at the stars and then down at cells under a microscope without missing a beat. Our Creator gave us all we need to observe the world so we can fulfill our unique stewardship duties. No two eyes have quite the same needs. Human eyes must adjust to any environment, from deep sea dives to outer space. Other eyes are specifically designed for very special environments high altitudes, freshwater lakes, salt water, nighttime, daytime, and even underground. Each setting requires radically different optics. The size of the eyes ranges from microscopic to enormous. Tiny animals like worms don't need huge eyeballs like those of elephants or whales. They only need tiny eyes that simply detect light or dark. In fact, their light sensors can only be seen with a powerful microscope. This allows them to devote most of their energy and body to gathering soil and digesting waste. Some insects have eyes less than one hundredth of an inch, 0.1 millimeters, in diameter. Whereas the giant squid, which scours the dark ocean depths looking for the slightest sign of life, has massive eyes, up to the size of large dinner plates, 11 inches, or 270 millimeters in diameter. So, what could possibly explain the origin of such a vast range of eye designs? Ancient people recognized that the origin of their eyes must be supernatural. The wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, acknowledged what seems an obvious truth the hearing ear, and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12. But the rise of modern evolutionary beliefs has forced some scientists to find an alternative explanation. They claim that eyes gradually evolved by chance over vast periods of time. Charles Darwin, who first proposed evolution by natural selection in 1859, hoped that future research would show that eyes had evolved from simple and imperfect designs Two complex and perfect designs after thousands of small changes. Ever since then, evolutionists have searched for a series of simple eye designs that become increasingly complicated, reflecting this supposed history of slow development. Modern science has succeeded in finding a series of eye designs. However, they are far more complex and varied than Darwin could ever have imagined. There's also a major problem for evolution. None of these eye designs are Imperfect or simple. They all impeccably suit their purpose, as though they were designed that way from the beginning. Types of Vision Systems Despite the astonishing differences among eyes, experts have attempted to classify them into a few broad types with many variations. Evolutionists claim that the different vision systems with varying levels of sophistication support the idea that eyes evolved from simple to complex. But such a claim is completely wrong for two reasons. First, none of the types are simple, so this does not help to explain the ultimate origin of vision systems. Second, there are major differences between the main types, so it does not explain how one vision system could have evolved into another type. An alternative paradigm can fully explain this range of sophisticated vision systems, different needs of different organisms in different environments. Instead of linking all eyes to a common ancestor, we can see this diversity as evidence of a common designer who filled his creation with similar but not identical vision systems that display a full spectrum of designs suited for varied needs. It is incorrect to say that any particular design is imperfect or primitive. Each type of vision system, from the earthworm's simple light detectors to the eagle's complex lenses, performs well in its respective way. In fact, Human engineers use all four main types of designs in different situations, from simple light triggers called photodiodes to complex lens cameras. This demonstrates that none of the types are a bad design. They just have different purposes. Let's look more closely at eye designs that use the four main types of vision systems. Light sensor, chamber with no lens, compound eyes, and chamber with lens. Light sensor. Worms look simple from the outside, but they are actually a marvel of sophisticated design. They breathe through their skin, and their blood vessels pump cold blood through their body. They also have two tubes of muscle in two layers that give them a powerful burrowing ability. Because worms usually must stay in the soil to survive, they need to sense light to ensure they remain underground. To do this, they have thousands of light detecting photoreceptors all over their body on nerve endings which tell them when they are near or on the surface. If you look up eye evolution in a typical secular biology book, it will claim that single photoreceptors were the first stage in the eye's evolution and that they just appeared by chance. However, photoreceptors are extremely sophisticated biochemical machines that could not possibly have just appeared by a series of accidents. To illustrate this point, see if you can skim the following simplified summary of how a photoreceptor works without your eyes glazing over with all the technical terms and concepts. The details truly are fascinating, once you get the advanced biology degree necessary to understand them. The visual cycle of a photoreceptor is the biological conversion of a photon into an electrical signal. This process occurs via G-protein coupled receptors called opsins, which contain the chromophore 11-cis retinol. 11-cis retinol is covalently linked to the opsin receptor via shift-base forming retinolidine protein. When struck by a photon, 11 retinol undergoes photosummarization to all transretinol, which changes the conformation of the opsin GPCR, leading to signal transduction cascades which causes closure of cyclic GMP-gated station channel and hyperpolarization of the photoreceptor cell. Sound complicated? The above is only part of the process. Another complex process is required to recharge the photoreceptor and get it ready to be activated again. You can't keep the receptor running unless the recharge system is also in place. So, a single photoreceptor cell is a prime example of what is known as irreducible complexity. Many elements are needed simultaneously, in a precise assembly, to make the whole machine possible. One of the most complex parts of the photoreceptor is the protein Opsin which consists of chains of organic compounds that fold into precise three-dimensional shapes designed to interact with other structures in the cell. Such structures and interactions do not happen by chance, but it gets even more challenging for the evolutionist, because it turns out that some worms happen to have more complex photoreceptors than mammals, and these sensors are so superbly designed that they are inspiring new technology. In 2016, A team of scientists at the University of Michigan discovered a new type of photoreceptor in roundworms that is about 50 times more efficient at capturing light than the photoreceptor in the human eye. Scientists are studying the new receptor protein with the hope of producing better sunscreens. Photoreceptors are so complex that George Wald received the Nobel Prize in 1967 for describing the process. That should make it pretty obvious that evolutionists cannot logically start an explanation of eye evolution by assuming photoreceptors existed at the beginning of the supposed evolutionary process. Chamber with no lens The Nautilus is a beautiful marine mollusk that inhabits coral reefs in tropical waters, from the Indian Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. The Nautilus has a chambered eye with no lens. Chambered simply means it has a container of some sort. Instead of passing through a lens at the front of the eye, the light is focused through a tiny pinhole opening that has to be just the right size and in the right position for the vision system to work. Popular descriptions of the Nautilus claim that it has a rudimentary eye because it uses a pinhole rather than a lens. However, a pinhole camera is not rudimentary at all, but requires precision, just like a lens, and has its own advantages that lenses do not. A pinhole camera has some advantages, such as a large depth of field, a wide angular field, and freedom from any linear distortion. Unlike lenses, these features can be advantageous in a crowded place, like a coral reef. Opticians use pinholes for eye tests. This shows that the design is good for certain circumstances. The fact that photographers today sometimes select the pinhole camera to obtain certain images is evidence that the pinhole is not an inferior design. Compound eyes. When you look quickly at a dragonfly, it might appear to have two eyes. However, if you look closer, it actually has something like 30,000 separate eyes. These tiny individual eyes are called ommatidia and are grouped into two patches called compound eyes. Incredibly, each tiny ommatidium consists of its own cornea lens, and photoreceptor cells, which distinguish brightness and color on their own. Compound eyes point in different directions so an insect can see many areas at once without moving its eye. That is a useful tool when you're vulnerable to attack. Another feature is a fast response time to movement. The fruit fly's reaction time is five thousandth of a second. That helps explain why it's so hard to swat a fly. Some insects do not have compound eyes, but simpler eyes called ocelli, photoreceptors which detect only movement. Ocelli can detect lower light levels and have a faster response time, while compound eyes are better at detecting details. It all depends on the needs of the different insects. Some insects have both compound eyes and ocelli. Other insects, such as bees, can even detect polarization of light which means they can detect the position of the sun on cloudy days. So their work never stops. The sophisticated vision systems packed into tiny insects bear testimony to a great designer. Chamber with Lens An eagle's eyesight is so powerful, it can spot a rabbit moving two miles away. In fact, an eagle could be described as a pair of eyes with wings. Eagle eyes are similar in principle to human eyes and the eyes of most vertebrates, animals with backbones. They all have a lens, an eyeball, and a retina. However, God has varied this basic design for each vertebrate's special purpose. Eagle eyes are optimized to give the eagle super-powerful eyesight, appropriate to living the high life. An eagle's eyes take up more space than its brain. Eagles have a very large number of light-sensitive cells, especially in what is called the fovea area where focusing takes place. The eagle's brain is also highly dedicated to the eyes, with an estimated 80% of an eagle's sensory input coming from its eyes. The fact that the eagle's body is focused on expert vision makes complete sense, considering that its main aim in life is to locate prey by sight. Eyes to see. The great diversity of eye designs is not a product of evolution, but rather the result of an all-seeing creator designing the most appropriate eye for every situation and occasion. Any engineer who has ever worked on imaging instruments will tell you that the systems do not appear by chance, yet nothing that engineers have produced begins to compare with what God has designed. When you consider the amazing design of eyes in creation, and then consider how eyes grow in the womb, Or when you consider how the eye can repair and maintain itself for a lifetime, you have to agree with Solomon that there is only one option, the existence of a creator who is perfect in knowledge and skill, the hearing ear and the seeing eye. The Lord has made them both. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12.
0: That article, An Eye for Every Occasion, was written by Dr. Stuart Burgess. He's a highly respected engineer at Bristol University, in the UK, who has designed imaging instruments for spacecraft. He knows from first-hand experience that, like the eyes of both humans and animals, optical technology doesn't appear by chance. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed these articles, there are hundreds more at our website, AnswersMagazine.com. The links to today's articles are listed in our show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to receive the magazine in your mailbox every other month. You will love that you're better able to share and defend your faith. I'm Dale Mason, publisher at Answers Magazine, and for the entire team, God bless.